You are Locked On MLB, your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast where we talk about all the major league baseball, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. On this episode, which is being dropped on the 6th day of February 2020, we have a special guest, Gabrielle, from the newly relaunched Locked On Red Sox, and guess what we're going to be talking about? See if you can guess. This show is available on the free and easy-to-use Himalaya podcasting app. We're also available on all the platforms where you get your shows, or you can listen to us directly at the website, LockedOnMLB.com. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On MLB, and both hands on the wheel, no reckless driving, please. If you want to follow us on Instagram or on Twitter, check us out at Locked On MLB. Eric and everyone is doing great stuff there. I'm personally at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Well, as I hinted in my tease at the beginning, we have a special guest here today. Locked on the Locked On Podcast Network, as you know, is trying to cover as many teams as possible. And we have a brand new Red Sox host with her background at Girl at the Game, but we have her here right now. Gabrielle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sully. Well, again, welcome. I'm looking forward to listening to your show. And you, they um, decided you just started, right? Like very, very recently. And uh, <laughs> Like this week? <laughs> yeah, this week. And the Red Sox say, hey, we have a great idea. Let's pull the rug right out from under you and, and hit the ground running, shall you? Wow. Well, it's almost as if they, uh, not only did they hit, pull the rug out from under me, they then rolled up the rug and beat me with it. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. This is a, I, I don't think anyone should be stunned that we're not talking about Brock Holt here. Um, we're the, the ripple effects of the, the trade that happened during the state of the union. I figured that was absolutely wonderful that while the state union was going on red Sox fans were going oh forget that what just happened to mookie bats and let's just go over what the trade was shall we and i'm not going to count the the kind of the side deal that went on between the dodgers and the angels that involved jock peterson to basically make room for bets in the outfield the dodgers traded kenta maeda and Alex Verdugo, and got back Mookie Betts, David Price, and their contracts. The Red Sox and tra- money. And yeah, yeah, and and the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts and David Price for Alex Verdugo and Brustar Gretarol, whose name I hope I pronounced correctly. And the Minnesota Twins traded Gretarol and got back Kenta Maeda. Uh, and because we're going to be focusing on everything else, I'm just going to point out that trading away a reliever with less than half a year's major league service and getting back a pitcher like Kenta Maeda, who is a good pitcher, not a great pitcher, but will give the Minnesota Twins some depth. I think that's a good move for the Twins. Good on you, Twins. And that's all I'm going to be talking about the Twins today. Let's get back to this. Anyone listening to the show last night knows that I am not happy with this deal. 
Uh, I understand the silver lining that people try to make. And yes, I do understand that they traded away Lester and they traded away Nomar and they traded away Manny. And part of the reasons why the Red Sox have won so many World Series recently is they have no sentimentality and they don't get bogged down by long contracts and everything like that. That being said, this is an MVP caliber player in the middle of his prime who's not yet 28 and you sent him away in a salary dump. I have issues with that, but Gabrielle, you're my guest. Tell me your thoughts. My thoughts are, wait, we don't swear on this podcast, do we? I'll bleep it out. Okay. No, I'm just, I can, I can do it without it. I just, I was going to say the Red Sox basically just gave the biggest middle finger in the last at least a decade to their fans. That's my biggest thought is they just showed everybody exactly who this ownership group is. And it's honestly disgusting to me that they did this to the team, to the fans, like to baseball, because it sets a really bad precedent. And it also is just so unbelievably frustrating because, you know, you could have argued if they had gotten more for Mookie, mm-hmm. you could have argued that it was a real trade and not a salary dump. Yeah. But the fact that they got no elite prospects and one player and one pitching prospect who's ranked like 83rd on MLB.com's top 100, it shows you that it was really all about the money the entire time. Yeah. And, and there's I- no sugarcoating that. Yeah, and as I mentioned before, they have had that sense. And again, I'm saying this as a devil's advocate because in the past, I have been okay with some of the moves because it's been about, okay, we squeezed everything we could out of, say, Jacoby Ellsbury and let him walk and let someone else pay for his injured seasons or Johnny Damon or Pedro Martinez. I understand that. And and those moves made sense. I don't care about the money because A, it's not my money, and B, it's not going to affect the Red Sox experience because I'm going to go out on a limb here. The Red Sox are not about to lower their ticket prices after the salary dump. They're not about to lower. They literally raised them this winter. They raised them 1.7% from last year. Yeah, so you're going to pay more, but they're saying, oh, oh, we have to – make these moves to get under the the threshold with the promise of we'll spend a big pile of money later. I do understand that when you have the likes of, as I said, not paying for Pedro's decline and using that to bring in Josh Beckett to win in 2007. I do understand to a certain degree some of the other moves, but Mookie was a different player. I mean, the last time the Red yeah. Sox had developed a homegrown MVP was... Pedroia. Mo- oh, Pedroia. That's right. I'm sorry. That's yeah. right. Pedroia. I was going to say Mo Vaughn, but you're right. It was Pedroia. Um, and they... But the problem with Pedroia, of course, is it's a double-edged sword because, you know, they're now stuck in the last few years of a Pedroia extension. And I'm sure, I wrote this today, I'm sure that the fact that they are trying to figure out what to do about Pedroia now pay like played a small a very at the very least a very small part in this situation because 
Pedroia signed an extension with them in 2013 and it was an eight year extension, I think. And I remember vividly at the time of him signing this extension, me being like, that is way too long of an extension because it meant that he would be under, I think, I think either 2021 or 2022 is the last year of that contract. And I was like, the amount of years that something could go wrong in that contract is crazy to me. And here we are now, you know, Mookie wanted a contract to go through his age 39 season. And you can understand why a team's going to be like, "Mm, I don't want to deal with you when you're 39 years old, even if it is Mookie best. Like that, I do understand. The money I don't understand because Mookie Betts is totally worth an average annual value of $35 million a year. He is. Yeah. He's getting, he, he's getting $27 million this year. I'm not even. And he's, it's, you know. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I'm not going to, I've made a vow on this show that I'm not going to go over dollars because in the end, they're all going to make more money than all of us. Uh, so oh, yeah. I, I don't get. I don't get wrapped up into that because it's not my money. And when you can say, Hey, we offered him a $30 million contract or 30, whatever, 300 million or whatever it was. Yeah. But that's still below market value. And in his, what was a considered to be a down year? Well, he still had an OPS over nine. He still slugged over five. You know, he still had 300 some odd total bases. You know, he still, hit 29 home runs and led the league in runs scored. I know I'm not supposed to look at runs scored, but if you're leading the league in runs scored, that means you're at least doing something productive. You're still a goal. Even, blo- even when Mookie is, even when Mookie is struggling by Mookie standards, he's still better than like 85% of the league when exactly. he's struggling. Yeah. Let, like not even talking about when he's like AL MVP batting champ winning, you know, another gold glove and a silver slugger. Like he's, he's, Literally top two in baseball. And if Mike Trout didn't exist, he would be the best baseball player. Yeah. I mean, he finished second in the league in uh, the most valuable player vote in 2016. He won the MVP in 2018. Um, and he's been a top 10 MVP candidate, which, again, is not the best metric. But at least it shows that he's someone who is at least in the conversation of elite players in this game. And he is, as of this recording, has he turned 27 yet? He has, uh, yeah, yes, he's, this, yeah, he's 27. Yeah, he's, he's a fall, I think he's a fall birthday guy. Okay, yeah. Well, so you have at least three or four more prime years on his part. And if you're the Red Sox and you've developed a player like this, a homegrown player like this, and he, granted, if you want to say, oh, I wish we you know, had cut salary and you looked around and you know they were dying for J.D. Martinez to not pick up that option. And I thought it was kind of crazy to sign Chris Sale to a, a extension the way they did because I think everyone in the world saw that he was going to be an injury risk. And the same with Nathan Ovaldi. But did that cost the Red Sox Mookie bets? And should it have? The I mean only- – it only cost them Mookie Betts because they made the conscious choice not to pay Mookie Betts. Exactly. None yeah. of this, none of this actually matters when your franchise is worth over three billion dollars and your ownership group is worth even more, more than twice that. They made a choice not to pay him. Yep. And it yep. has at the end at the end of the day, you know, they can because I agree with you. You know, part of this, part of their choice 
is based on the bad contracts that Dombrowski gave out in his final year with the club, like to Evaldi and Sale. And, you know, practically speaking, for Chris Sale, you know, I love Chris Sale, but if you have a pitcher who misses almost half the season and then like, I'm not giving him a contract extension a month after he finishes a season where he only played a regular regularly in the rotation until July. Like that, that just doesn't make any sense to me, you know, and everyone was very romantic about the 2018, 19 off season because, you know, they had just won the world series and everything was beautiful and sunshine and rainbows. But if you think about it, Ivaldi's had two Tommy Johns and he has a surgery every year and Sale couldn't finish the season, missed almost half the season healthy. Like you're, those are not people you're giving out big contracts to. And it was a mistake. And so of course they're hesitant to give out more contracts. But what I said today in my article was, you know what? Mookie Betts is the player you make an exception for. Because Mookie Betts is not like any of these players. There is no one like Mookie Betts in baseball. And I spent like an hour today watching old videos of him. And it only reinforced that feeling to me that I'm like, I can't believe they just did this. I think you just made the point that this is not a situation where you look at, okay, this person, this is not Jackie Bradley Jr. This is not Nathan Neovaldi. This is a building block. Now, if the Red Sox take two or three steps back, and they, you know, this is we've all seen this. They, they, the Red Sox have won four titles recently, and after each title, there was at least one season where they took a big step back before taking a couple of steps forward. And I have to give the ownership credit where it's due, because when they took over this team, the expectation was, please, just let me see it happen once. And we've seen it happen four times. So I'm not going to poo-poo that. But what I am going to say is you have to have the ability to adjust and say, this is just not another commodity. This is a franchise player, a homegrown franchise player, and a chance to build the team around players like Betts, Bogarts, Devers, Christian Vasquez, that if you think that by 2022 or 2023, there'll be a pennant contender again, Betts will still be an all-star. These are the players you build towards and have that foundation. And as I hinted on the show yesterday, I'm a little mad that we are not going to get a chance to see Betts develop for the Red Sox while Judge develops for the Yankees. And you see the rivalry build with a homegrown stud in the heart of both teams with without the baggage of we haven't seen a World Series champion in a long time. It would have been a whole new chapter of the rivalry, and we've been denied that because John Henry doesn't want to play, pay uh, a luxury tax. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's the thing that's the most frustrating to me, in addition to all the things that you just said, and I think that's the biggest thing, is how many issues there are with this situation because there really are – like. I think more issues than I could count on two hands. The biggest thing is it's the Red Sox ownership acting as if they have just taken over this club and they don't know who they're dealing with. Like you've been running this team for almost 20 years and you don't realize who the Red Sox are supposed to be. This isn't, you know, the Marlins or 
the Royals. Like, this isn't some random team. This is the Boston Red Sox. This is one of the faces of MLB, one of the most famous teams in the entire world. This is the city of Boston and its obsessive, psychotic sports fans. And you're acting like you don't know who you're dealing with. Like, do you think that this is okay? Do you think that this is the kind of, like, crap that, that flies with Boston sports fans? No. We ran Pablo Sandoval out of town. Yeah. We're not, we're not like, in the words of Michael Scott from The Office, we are not to be truffled with. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is, this, is, this is not, you know, like, this is, it's the Red Sox. Yeah, and, and I, like I feel, I feel like, do I feel like ownership is like got some kind of amnesia where they've forgotten who they're dealing with? Like they've forgotten the, who they own. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that drives me crazy, especially, and again, I brought up right from the top because I know the argument for this is bringing up all of the, uh, you know, the trading way of Nomar or letting Pedro and all of them go. There was giant red flags for all of those players that they were not going to be stars in the long run, that they were injury prone or on the way down. Pedro Martinez, as I said yesterday, and I said several times, is my favorite player in baseball history. And yet, if they had signed him to a four-year deal, that would have been crazy because he didn't yeah. have four years left in his arm. That's not what's going on here. Now you're saying, is he going to have 12 years? No, probably no one's going to have 12 years. But these big, long, honking contracts are not about the 10th, 11th, 12th year. They're about those first few years where you buy out their prime and you get their entire prime on the team and then you pay for it at the end but these are the Red Sox who can, as you just so perfectly pointed out, could afford to eat the Sandoval contract. They could afford to eat the Hanley Ramirez contract, which means I can say they could probably eat Price and Evaldi and Sale without sacrificing Mookie freaking bets. I mean, you <laughs> if you, you can afford to eat, $45 million of Pablo Sandoval's contract, but you don't want to pay Mookie Betts, who actually does everything for this team. Yeah. You don't want to pay him $35 million a year, but you'll pay Pablo Sandoval of the broken belt and the fattest ass in baseball $45 million to leave. Yeah. Let me tell you something. A friend of mine played on the minors in, for the Giants, and when they sent Pablo Sandoval packing and he went crawling back to the Giants, you know what he was doing with that money? He was taking that money and taking the entire minor league team out to dinner and laughing at the Red Sox for bankrolling those dinners. And I'm really happy for my friend because, you know, the minor leagues don't pay. So I'm just glad that he was getting a free meal. But the Red Sox knew what they were getting into when they sent Pablo Sandoval away. And they've been eating that contract for like two and a half years now. But they didn't want to pay someone to actually contribute to this team. That's yeah. a joke. Here's and if you were gonna, if you and if you were gonna pay him, sorry, if you were gonna pay him twenty-seven million dollars this year, while you still have him, at least contend. Yeah. At least try, because yeah. they weren't even, you know, the whole the whole excuse, the whole the whole reason to trade Mookie Betts away 
was to get something in return for him. And they didn't even really get anything. They got Alex Verdugo, who's like, whatever. Yeah. And then they get a pitching prospect who like can throw 102 miles an hour. And you know what that tells me? Probably doesn't have very good command. Probably doesn't have very good location. Probably going to like, you know, bust his arm. If you're throwing 102 miles an hour, you're not throwing effectively. Well, I mean, the idea is, and, and you've hit this and I've hit this and, you know, we're, we're of a, of a similar mindset. When you get a player like this, you do what you can to make sure you get their entire prime. You saw that the Angels did that with Trout. You saw that the Reds did that with Joey Votto. You see that, you know, there's, you see that with some of the long-term deals that are being brought out. They say, we're here to get their whole dang prime. And the Red Sox acting like they're the Pirates is just maddening because again for outside listeners i've already had a couple people write me saying i sound like a spoiled brat i've seen them win the world series four times and take your licks like this fine i understand that and and you know no one's going to feel sympathy for any boston fans at all i understand that but it is frustrating that the team developed this player developed an mvp and have the especially when they never develop anyone right and as you (laughs) pointed out they made the decision not to pay him i got into a little bit of a uh a back and forth online with someone who kept trying to explain to me you know why they did this and i said well and i said to him you're not explaining why so i did explain to you why they offered this contract and mookie Betts won 400 and we offered him 300 and that's why i said no that's what why why didn't they want to pay that? It's not they don't have the the money to do it. Why did they not want to? And that's what's so frustrating about this. This is not a player you know, who's about to break down like Nomar or Pedro. This is someone who's still going to be an all-star in three or four years, and the Red Sox just dumped them to Los Angeles. At the very least, three or four years. I mean, Mookie Betts is the kind of, like, knock on wood, Mookie Betts is the kind of player who, you know, he's not going to gain 80 pounds and like not be able to run. And he's not, you know, he's not going to blow out his arm like a pitcher. Mookie Betts, first of all, came up as a second baseman. So like, you know, he could be going around from the infield to the outfield. He can be DH. Like there is so much that he could do mm-hmm. to be a player with longevity aside from the fact that he's, you know, like a young fit guy who has probably five to seven years of prime in him. Yeah. And, you know, and you could have him even, you know, you could have built into his contract that if he, if he ultimately at the end of his career, you know, the last couple of years wanted to transition like Ichiro into a more of a player development front office role, you know, that he could do that for like half of the average annual value. You know, there were so many things that they could have done and they just didn't do it. And the thing that I keep coming back to is a story I was reading in the athletic about how there are just so many teams now that don't care about being competitive. Mm-hmm. And with the Red Sox, 
you know what, they, they just showed that because for all of their platitudes when they fired Cora about we plan on competing in 2020, no, you don't. No. They just showed it. And, the- and they really just showed that they don't because they just traded away a Cy Young pitcher and the second best player in all of baseball for peanuts. Like, you know, it's one thing if you don't, you know, like, the, like the Orioles aren't going around trying to convince their fans that they're good. Yeah. And the thing with Red Sox fans, which I don't, you know, I'm not going to speak for other fan bases, but I see it being so enmeshed in Red Sox Nation for such a long time and knowing myself personally as a Red Sox fan is Red Sox fans are deeply invested in their team. They are educated because they are obsessed. Not everybody, but Red Sox fans are focused. And so you can't fool them the same way you could fight like, you know, convince some fans of who aren't as invested in their team. Red Sox fans aren't like that. And so the, the, the turn of phrase that I always use is don't piss on my head and tell me it's raining. Don't treat Red Sox fans like they're stupid. They are the furthest thing from stupid. They have been on this since the second you offered Mookie that embarrassingly low contract extension at the end of 2018, $210 million over seven years. Like Red Sox fans knew that this stuff was coming because they're invested. And so for ownership to act like, you know, we plan on being, you know, competitive in 2020, we plan on contending. Cool. And I plan on growing wings and flying in the air like Tinkerbell. It's not going to happen. And do you know what one of the wild things is, is that when you have both the Red Sox and to a lesser degree, the Cubs going into this year, looking to trade away their homegrown MVP, the Red Sox did it. And the Cubs are about to with Chris Bryant. That is allowing a couple of other teams like the Reds, like the Diamondbacks, like the White Sox to a lesser degree to sort of short the market saying, well, if these other big spenders aren't playing, we'll pick up Dallas Keuchel. We'll pick up Madison Bumgarner. We'll pick up, you know, this player, that player, or Moustakas or whoever. Maybe not the big, huge MVP, but to sort of say, hey, if these other big spenders aren't going to be contending, we'll pick up this club and take advantage of it. And you're going to see a couple of teams in 2020 could be the Reds, could be the Diamondbacks, who actually were a good team last year, could be the Chicago White Sox, could be some of these teams that are taking advantage of the Red Sox suddenly turning into a bunch of cheapskates. I mean, the thing with Mookie is, you know, at first, at first I was like, you know, because I wanted him to say, I was like, why doesn't he want to take $300 million? Because like, in my opinion, like, dude, like I'd play baseball for a million dollars. I'd play baseball for half a million dollars. Like it's baseball. But you're not Mookie Betts. You're not Mookie Betts. But I'm I'm not exactly. I'm not Mookie Betts. And the more I thought about it, I quickly came to the realization. I was like, you know what? Like good for him that he's not just like laying down and taking the like low ball offer that they gave him because him doing this, sets a precedent of, you know, I deserve what I deserve and I'm not going to settle for what you think I deserve. And that's a big thing because what he dictates in his free agency this year, this coming off season will set a new precedent for future superstars. You know, Mookie Betts got this in free agency and therefore I think I deserve this. 
That's important. And it also is important that he's not just letting a very rich franchise, an obnoxiously rich, mm-hmm. suddenly spendthrift franchise, you know, screw him over. Because yes. they could afford it. And him, and him, you know, not backing down when they try to flex their muscles is important. Because they shouldn't be allowed to get away with it. If you have the money, you should spend it. Yeah. That's right. And they're not. And it's such, it's such a bad look because for them to act, like there are so many teams that I respect so much, like the A's and the Rays, where, you know, you watch Moneyball and you're watching, you know, Brad Pitt as Billy Bean trying to figure out how to be competitive because he just doesn't have the money. You know, watching Johnny Damon go to the Red Sox, watching yes. Jason Giambi go to the Yankees, like watching his players get poached by these big teams and figuring out how to be competitive and then succeeding or at least get being moderately successful with the analytics, the beginning of the analytics movement is so admirable when you look at teams like the Red Sox and Yankees and the Dodgers and they could literally spend all the money in the world. And so for them to not spend the money when they could is in a twisted way so disrespectful to teams like the Rays and the Pirates and the A's. Because they wish they had even a fraction of what the Red Sox could pay. And they don't. And they're just doing their best with what they've got. And in, and in turn, what the Red Sox and teams like them do is they poach their executives and they poach the analytics from them. And they just pick and pick and pick and they take everything from them. And they turn around and they do it better because they have those resources. And it's about when they choose to use those resources and when they don't. I can't say it any better. And well, look at, I don't know what else to say, except um, I hope they uh, lower the concession prices at Fenway, which I'm sure they're going to do because they suddenly like, hey, hey, we're going to not spend money, but we're not going to pass the savings on to you here. Oh, man, Gabrielle, this is a a rough way to start locked on Red Sox, but in some ways it's a great way because you're not going to have any... uh, Shortness of no shortage of uh, topics. All yeah. right, Gabrielle, tell us where <laughs> we can find your podcast and anything else you've written and done. So you can find me. My personal Twitter is GFSTARR1. And you can also find me at LO underscore Red Sox. That's the Locked On Podcast Twitter, as well as girlatthegame.com, which is exactly how it sounds. All right. All right. Well, Gabrielle. Welcome to the Locked On podcast world, and thanks for joining us, and boy, oh boy, this is going to be a weird year. This is going to be a really weird year. 2018 seems like a really long time ago, but for everyone yeah. fo- everyone following the show here, check us out, the free and easy to use Himalaya podcasting app, and all the places we get your podcasts. Remember to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at LockedOnMLB. Great work there, Eric and everybody. I'm personally at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Talking about the Red Sox and the, well, let's just call it the bizarre whirlwind of the last couple of days with Gabrielle of Locked On Red Sox. This has been Locked On MLB for the sixth day of February 2020. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sullivan.